Well, if you have a Bible this evening, please turn with me to Lamentations chapter 3. And uh, we'll read the first 21 verses um, together. Amen. We trust the Lord Lord, and his blessing to that reading of his uh, words. And uh, we're moving on tonight to this third ABC of morning. And I just want to go through these first 21 verses with you tonight. And if I was to give this particular section, as it were, a title, I think I would entitle it The Man of Sorrows. The Man of Sorrows. You'll notice immediately this third lament is three times as long as the previous ones that we've looked at. And you'll recall that we said right back at the beginning uh, that Jeremiah here gives three verses for each letter of the Hebrew alphabet rather than just the one. So we have 66 letters instead of the usual 22. And uh, the tone in these opening verses, you'll notice, is very similar to what we've already been uh, looking at previously. We see anguish, we see sorrow, we see affliction. And the prophet takes us on a journey in these opening verses down and down as he spirals really into despair and almost depression. Uh, Now, towards the end of the the section, the mood does begin to sweeten, and we'll see that when we get to it, and uh, that sets us up uh, for next time, God willing, when we notice how the the prophet here begins to turn his eyes heavenwards. But we should notice that while the tone uh, is uh, similar, the perspective is different. Previously, Jeremiah, you remember, has spoken of the city, He's spoken of uh, Judah and he's used expressions like the daughter of Zion, uh, the daughter of Judah. And he said, she weeps and she has none to comfort her. He's he's looked on. But now he begins to describe uh, the experience of Jerusalem in terms of his experience. And you notice how he uses the personal pronoun just even there at the very beginning. I am the man that have seen affliction. He takes the the sufferings of, of Jerusalem and he now individualizes them and personalizes them. He speaks of I and me as you go through and uh, it takes us right back really to uh, Jeremiah chapter 8 if you just turn there with me for a moment. Jeremiah chapter 8 and uh, verse um, 21. He says there in Jeremiah 8 verse 21 for the hurt of the daughter of my people, am I hurt? I am black, astonishment have taken hold on me. In other words, he says, their hurt is my hurt, their sorrow is my sorrow. And, and now in this lamentation here, he, he puts it into his own personal, as it were, perspective. And because of this personal aspect to this lament, I think we see Christ here even more clearly than we did in the previous two lamentations. Jeremiah is speaking, yes, but really we're hearing the voice of Christ, just like in Psalm 22, when you hear there, the, it's David who's writing it, really what you're seeing and hearing is the voice of Christ. And, and all the way through here, we're being pointed to that true man of sorrows, that man of affliction, the one who was acquainted with grief, our Saviour. And so as we go through these verses uh, this evening, I want us to have that really at the forefront of our minds. We see the city, yes, we see the prophets uh, and the anguish and so on, but really they really fade into the background and it's the, the suffering servant, it's the suffering Messiah 
who's being presented to us here. And so uh, this evening, again, I want to just go through these verses with you and then uh, consider some very quick points um, at the end. And so we begin with this opening verse here where Jeremiah speaks of himself as this man of affliction, a man of suffering. I am the man that have seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. And those words there at the beginning, I am the man, have this sense of I am the only man. No one has seen affliction like I have seen affliction is the, the sense there. No one has experienced suffering and pain like I am. And we made this point last time, didn't we, that uh, Jeremiah looked at Jerusalem in, in uh, chapter 2 and verse 13 there. And he says, you know, what shall I take as a witness? He, he wanted something to compare with the sufferings of Jerusalem. He wanted just one example and he, and he couldn't find one, could he? No one, had, no one had experienced suffering like that. And again, remember we were pointing to Christ there. No one had suffered and endured what Christ endured. And the prophet labours uh, to express here that uh, this affliction, again, it's from God. It's by the rod of his wrath. We said this as we've been going along that God's people were under God's chastisement. And the wording that the prophet uses there should have, in a sense, brought him a little bit of comfort because his affliction was not by the sword of his wrath, but it was by the rod of his wrath. They were under God's chastisement. And uh, again, it reminds us, doesn't it, of Psalm 23 and what David says there, that thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. But Jeremiah seems to find no comfort here. And in the following verses, Jeremiah then goes on to speak of this affliction and he uses a number of pictures to develop his, the intensity and to show the, uh, how deep his suffering and his affliction really were. So if you just look at verse 2, we have this first picture and it's a picture of a dungeon being brought into a, a dungeon where there is no light. Something, of course, that Jeremiah was familiar with, wasn't it? being taken into prison. He says there, He hath led me and brought me into darkness, but not into light. He's saying God, in a sense, had led him like a, like a criminal on a chain into a dark a dungeon. And light in the scriptures, of course, speaks of more than just simply uh, light in the sense of what we see, but it speaks of life, doesn't it? Light, light gives light and it gives happiness and and also it's a picture of instruction. Darkness, on the other hand, is used to describe trouble and uh, calamity. It's a, it's a position of no comfort. Somewhere where you cannot receive any direction because you cannot see. And Jeremiah here is brought into this place of deep darkness and it's by the providence of God. He hath led me. He has brought me. He's guided me into this position. Remember what David could say in, in Psalm 18 and, uh, and verse 28 there, that uh, wonderful uh, psalm of David. He, he speaks there, For thou wilt light my candle, in verse 28, the Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. Or you can think of Psalm 27 and verse 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. But Jeremiah can't say that at this time. And I think we could say too, couldn't we, that Christ on the cross, he couldn't say that. There was only this seeming perpetual darkness. And the prophet picks up the, 
the same picture again in, uh, at the end of verse 7 particularly, and he hath made my chain uh, heavy. He speaks of being, about being hedged about there uh, so that he cannot get out, and he speaks of being fastened, as it were, with this heavy chain in prison. The most notorious criminals might be chained not just once but twice and they might have to carry the heaviest ball because of their uh, notoriety. And Jeremiah feels like he's been fastened down and there's seemingly no escape for him. Grief has, in a sense, incarcerated him and fettered his soul. He tries, as it were, in vain to tug on his chains but he, he remains in this continual bondage. So we have this picture there in, in verse 2 of this dungeon, but then he moves on in verse 3, he changes it from being this criminal to now being an enemy of God's. He says, surely against me as he turned, he turneth his hand against me all the day. Of course, this was something that he had spoken about in the previous lament, wasn't it? He had spoken about God being like an enemy. And here he, he speaks of God's hand of omnipotence being turned against him. He brings, as it were, blow after blow upon him. And you notice there in verse 3, it's all the day. It's endless. There's just seemingly no relief. Sort of a little bit like what Asaph says in Psalm 73. You remember he um, says something very similar there in verse 14. All the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. And of course the Lord had promised that this would be the case to his people if they, had re- if they rebelled against him. Remember the words in Deuteronomy chapter 28. We've referred to this chapter a number of times in our studies, but Deuteronomy 28 and uh, verse uh, 65 says there that the Lord shall... Give thee there a trembling heart and failing of eyes and sorrow of mind and thy life shall hang in doubt before thee and thou shalt fear day and night and shalt have none assurance of thy life. In the morning thou shalt say, would God it were even and at even thou shalt say, would God it were morning. And so whichever time of day, at whatever moments, God was against uh, Jeremiah. And then in verse 4 he changes the illustration again, he changes the picture. This time it's of one who is uh, elderly and infirm, whose skin in a sense has become thin and dried up and wrinkled. All this uh, grief and and sorrow that he has gone through in a sense has sped up the ageing process in in Jeremiah. I'm sure you've uh, seen uh, pictures of prime ministers or presidents. You see a picture of them when they start office. And you see a picture of them only not many years later. And you see how they've aged enormously in only a short space of time. The contrast can be quite remarkable, can't it, as they've aged. Presumably the pressure, stress of the job and so on, number of hours they're working, they take their toll. And Jeremiah's grief here, he says, has aged him. Many believe, of course, the same was true of Christ. Remember those words in John chapter 8 when the Jews said, Thou art not yet 50 years old, and some believe that Christ appeared much older than his years. And I think we could say that, even if that's not necessarily true, we could say that because he was the pure Son of God, because he lived in this fallen 
world and because his conscience was the most tender conscience of anyone, Christ would have been grieved more than anyone else, wouldn't he, at what he saw. As we said, he was a man of sorrows and some therefore think that this perhaps changed his appearance in that sense, aged him. So Jeremiah says here, my flesh and my skin hath he made old. And then he moves on in verse 5 again to change the picture. And here he speaks of himself as a besieged city. Just as soldiers would you know, erect earthworks and ramparts against a fortified town or city, so the prophet here feel, feels that God has built mounds against him, ready to fire at him. He's compassed about there. He's compassed about on all sides, and it's with gall and travail. That word uh, gall there it, it means a, a poison. It's a, a bitter a drink. He's surrounded by bitterness and hardship. And then again he moves on to another picture in verse 6. This time he speaks of himself as a man rotting in a grave. He speaks about being set in dark places as they that be dead of old, like the, the dead are buried in a tomb or a sepulchre. And he says, look, there's, there's no remembrance of the man who's dead. There's no hope for the person who's dead. No hope of being revived. Perhaps the words of Psalm 88 were on his mind. Remember in Psalm 88, verse uh, 4 and following there, the psalmist says, Psalm 88, verse 4, I am counted with them that go down into the pit. I am as a man that hath no strength, free among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, whom thou rememberest no more. And they are cut off from thy hand. Thou hast laid me in the lowest pit, in darkness, in the deeps. Thy wrath lieth hard upon me, and thou hast afflicted me with all thy waves. waves. I think uh, we see a sense of that here, don't we, in what Jeremiah is saying. You know, I've been placed as this rotting man in a, in a grave, dead as the dead of old. And it reminds us too, doesn't it, of... Uh, of what uh, the Lord Jesus Christ said. Um, you remember what uh, Christ said in, in Psalm 22 and uh, those opening verses there. This, uh, this reflects really what he then goes on to say um, in verse 8. But he says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring. O oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not, and in the night season, and am not silent. And you notice that Jeremiah, he says here in verse 8, also when I cry and shout, he shutteth out my prayer. And uh, he, 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 just, he just feels so helpless, doesn't he? As he's, as he's like this rotting man, he feels so utterly uh, beyond the help of God, no, not even God will listen to him, even when he prays. Uh, he, he, his cries are, are loud, as he says there in verse 8, I shout, um, but he's disregarded them. Remember what the psalmist said in Psalm 18, verse 4, O Lord, God of hosts, how long wilt thou be angry against the prayer of thy people? And that's how Christ felt there in, in Psalm 22 and, and those verses. And and it's, it's strange, isn't it, when we think about it, that Jesus said, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock 
and it shall be opened unto you. But here in, in verse 8, uh, as he cries, he says, He shutteth out my prayer. God shut the door. Uh, Jeremiah speaks as if his prayers are like messengers, you know, sent to the door of the tabernacle, but the door of the tabernacle shut and it's barred, and, and his, his prayers aren't even heard by God. So when he cries, God no longer listens. What a terrible place for the prophet to be in. That not even his prayers are heard by his maker. And he moves on though in verse 9 to then change the picture again. This time it's really of a man in a maze. Uh, the maze is made of these hewn stones. Uh, hewn stones were ones that were shaped so that they could be fitted together better so that they provided a stronger wall, one that was impenetrable, one you couldn't push over. And they were also hewn in the sense that they were smooth. So as you built them up, they, you couldn't climb up them. They were too smooth to escape from. And, and this is how Jeremiah feels here. And he says, look, he's made my paths crooked. You know, whichever way I turn, I, I just cannot get out. I go right one way, I go left the next, but all the time I'm, I'm enclosed. There's just no escape from all his sorrow and his affliction and his anguish. In verse 11, we have a similar phrase there. He says, he have turned aside my ways. And the sense here is that whatever scheme or, or project or idea he comes up with, God has utterly thwarted it. God turns him aside from the plans that he's put in place. But then again, he changes the metaphor, verses 10 and uh, 11. He now describes God as a ferocious beast. And the prophet is the prey. God is waiting, lurking, ready to ambush him and uh, seize him. Uh, Spurgeon says that the prophet felt here like the, the justice of God was about to spring upon him. And uh, he carries on with the picture in verse 11 because not only is he waiting to spring upon him, but he actually chases him, pursues him till he catches him and pulls him in pieces. You know, similar language is used in the book of Hosea. Remember in chapter 5 and verse 14, it says, For I will be unto Ephraim as a lion, and as a young lion to the house of Judah. I, even I, will tear and go away. I will take away, and none shall rescue him and Jeremiah says I know what that's like I know what it's like to face Jehovah as a lion as a as a bear who's ready to to tear and, and to go away and to leave me in pieces and of course Christ used very similar language didn't he Psalm 22 again save me from the lion's mouth he said and then you move on into verses 12 and 13 and again he changes the illustration now he's no longer prey, but he's a target. And God is an archer, and he's aiming at him. And of course, God is no poor marksman, is he? When God aims, he never misses. And he has many different arrows in his quiver that he can use to bring about his correction and his purposes. It may be the arrow of bereavement or the arrow of sickness. It's, it may be the arrow of some fiery trial or... Uh, the floods of overwhelming temptation. It may be uh, the arrow of affliction or difficulty. God has so many weapons in his arsenal to bring about the, the purposes for his people. And the arrow here, he says, it enters his reins. They struck him where it hurt most. 
and the prophet felt it so keenly. He's in, he's in absolute anguish here. And others saw his sorrow in verse 14. And his suffering became their song. I mean, this happens today, doesn't it? You think of a football match. You think of the crowd there. Somebody quick-witted makes up some lyrics to go with some familiar tune. And soon they're laughing at the opposition and taunting some player. And they're very quick, aren't they, to have their songs of derision. And this is what happened to Jeremiah. Remember, of course, it happened to Christ as well. Psalm 69 and verse 12, Christ says, I was the song of the drunkards. And of course, as God's people, we have to expect to find derision in this world. If we follow Christ, as we step in his footsteps, we too will face such derision. But I think it's interesting to notice that verse 14 there, because despite this, this, this derision, despite this song against him, Jeremiah still calls them my people. And again, we see here, Here's the tender pastor's heart of Jeremiah that we mentioned last week. My people, he says, despite all that he's suffered, despite all that they're saying about him, despite all this derision, he still identifies with them. And again, what a wonderful picture of our Saviour who is the most tender of hearts. Even as he's on the cross, he prays you know, that they would be forgiven. And I'm sure there were many who were stood around that cross who cried crucify him, who later were in that 3,000 who came and bowed the knee. My people, Christ could say, even though he was being crucified. And Jeremiah uh, recalls all of this as we see him here using these pictures, picture after picture. Um, and it's all building up to these final verses here in in verses uh, 16 really through, well 15 really through to 21, and uh, well 15 really through to 18, uh, and we have the, him being filled up with bitterness here. He says he's drunk on wormwood. Wormwood, a bit like gall, was a, it was a bitter herb that was very unpleasant to eat or drink. It would have made you sick if you had swallowed it. And Jeremiah says, you know, just as a, a drunk man who's lost his wits and staggers about intoxicated, so he, he staggers intoxicated with grief and bitterness. He says there too, my teeth have been broken with gravel stones. Apparently in the, that part of the world when they would have baked bread and so on, they would have done so on an earthen hearth and as they would have done so, perhaps it would have there would have been gravel and grit and stones that may have got into the bread. And so you may have put your, your mouth into a piece of bread and got grit in your teeth. And yet here, the, such was the, the stones within it that they've broken his teeth. And so even when he's gone for some relief for his hunger, he's found no relief. Instead, he's, he's made it worse. And uh, it's led to more misery. And he goes on in verse... 17 here and 18 because he's now at the point of almost utter despair he's gone down and down as he's described his his position and he says his soul his very inner man is far off from peace and that he's forgot prosperity and of course peace in the hebrew has such a wider significance than it does in our in our english doesn't it it speaks of a permanent overflowing happiness 
But Jeremiah says, look, I'm, I'm robbed of my happiness. Despite, of course, what the false prophets had prophesied, peace, peace. And you know that here he says, look, I'm robbed of my peace. And if you rob a man of his peace, he has little left. But Jeremiah also stresses here, not only has he lost his peace, but he's lost the idea of, of what is good. And that's what the sense here of this expression at the end of verse 17, I forgot my prosperity, it's the sense that he, he doesn't even know what's good and right anymore. He doesn't even know what's, what's the, the correct thing to do. And so you see here, here's a man who's really at the bottom of, of absolute despair. So much so that in verse 18 he says, my strength and my hope is, is perished, is gone from the Lord's. He can just see no way out of his situation. And uh, friends, Jeremiah in his time of trouble, he, he found thoughts of despair just coming in like a, like a flood. His, his sore affliction made him doubt and, and lose his hope. And Satan, of course, loves to do this, doesn't he? He loves to use our afflictions and he loves to use our trials to lead us to despair. I found a, a quote this week which I found very helpful. It was from uh, David Dixon. And he puts it in a sort of very typically sort of Puritan way. He says, Satan loves to fish in muddy waters. Satan loves to fish in muddy waters. It's when we're under sore afflictions that he comes in and he tempts us. And he wants us to disbelieve God and doubt him. And he, and he drives us to despair. He loves it when our minds are clouded with the issues and the distresses and the problems that we're in. And that's when he loves to come in and sow those seeds of doubt about God and his promises and his character. And when we get to the end of verse 18, we, you see how the prophet is really just in, a, in, a, in an absolute state. But after all this despair, in, in verse 19, we start to see the first uh, rays of this dawn of new hope that's beginning to shine forth. He says, they're remembering mine affliction and my misery, the wormwood's and the gall, and perhaps um, some people prefer to translate it, and it would seem perhaps it would be a better way of translating instead of remembering as remember. In other words, uh, Jeremiah now here turns to prayer, and he cries out to God, and he says, remember mine affliction, look at my affliction, see what I'm going through. As he's reached the very you know, very bottom. He, it's now that he looks up and he begins to uh, pray to God and he seeks God to remember his misery and bitterness. As he says here, the wormwood and the gall. And in verse 20, as he, re, as he reflects on all this, it says that he's now humbled. This has all brought him to a point of humility and humility then in verse 21 leads to hope. And that word hope there, it's a... It's a wonderful word in the Hebrew. It implies a confident expectation. The picture really is of someone sitting down calmly, waiting expectantly. The image is one of complete trust and faith. This is not an uncertain hope or you know, the sort of pacifying wish of the imagination. 
This is something solid. There's, there's an assurance here as he speaks. The psalmist, you remember, said, hope thou in God. And this is what Jeremiah is beginning to do here at the end of verse 21. He says, I, I have hope. And next time, as we will see, God willing, we'll see how these first rays then lead into the full shining in the, in the following verses as, he, as the prophet then begins to rest on divine faithfulness and he trusts in the unfailing goodness of God's. And so he, as he's gone down and down and down, he's got to that point when he then begins to look up. And as he prays, he's humbled and humility leads to this hope. But just as, I, as we close off this particular uh, part of our study, we, perhaps we could notice a number of things that we can draw out of this uh, text, as we, out, of these, out of these verses. And I think the first thing that we see here as we look at these verses is that, that, that affliction will come. Being a Christian, of course, does not exempt us, does it, from suffering. Some, of course, today preach a sort of health and wealth gospel, but that's false. Remember that James says, is any sick among you? Let them call for the elders, and the inference is there that there'll be times that when we face sickness, it could be trouble, it could be difficulty, or persecution, or a whole manner of things. But what we have to remember is that even though as believers we will at times be afflicted, that in those times when we are afflicted, in those times when we are plunged like Jeremiah here into a sort of bewildering gloom and we feel God's hand against us, those strokes upon us, we're still God's people. Look at verse 33. I know we're jumping the gun here a little bit, but he says there in verse 33, For he doth not afflict willingly, nor grieve, the children of men. Cooper, of course, summed it up, I think, brilliantly, didn't he, in his hymn, uh, God Moves in a Mysterious Way. You remember the verse, he says, Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. And as we shall go on and see, Jeremiah is beginning to see this. But secondly, though, we see here that daily repentance is needed. Daily repentance is needed. If, if sin brings such misery and affliction, then as believers we should at all costs seek to keep short accounts with God. To fail in this duty is really to abuse the kindness and the mercy of God, isn't it? Remember what Paul said in Ephesians 4, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. We should die daily. We're exhorted, aren't we, to pray without ceasing and surely part of our prayers should be that we should say, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. And so we need to remind ourselves, do we do this daily? Do we, do we come before the Lord and seek his forgiveness? Or are we going through each day just presuming upon his goodness, presuming upon his, his grace and his mercy? Look at the misery of Jeremiah here. This is what sin brings. It's vital that we come and we repent regularly, daily, as often as we can before God's. But thirdly, I think we could notice here that affliction should humble us. Affliction should humble us. Jeremiah, as we said here at the end of this list of misery and woe, declared that his, his soul was humbled in him. 
And that's where affliction should always lead us. Matthew Henry said this, it becomes us to have humble hearts under humbling providences. We should have humble hearts under humbling providences. And 1 Peter 5 verse 6, remember, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. And lastly, um, well, I'll give you one more after this. Fourthly, we should say as well how much we should fear eternal wrath. How much we should fear eternal wrath. If these were only temporal afflictions, and yet they were so heavy upon Jeremiah, think what the eternal wrath of God must be like. As we read this passage, it should make us fly to Christ, shouldn't it? Make us seek mercy in him. In verse 2, the prophet speaks there about darkness and not light. And you remember, Jude describes hell as the blackness of darkness. It's there that we see an eternal bitterness. It's there we see the eternal wormwood and gall. And if we're unsaved tonight, this, this passage should make us run to Christ. There's mercy with him, there's forgiveness with him. If this is what Jeremiah felt under just a few temporal miseries, what must God's eternal hell be like? And fifthly, I think we could say this passage shows us how much we should thank God for his suffering son. As we said at the very beginning, we see Christ here, don't we? We see him, the one who suffered. He stood in our place. He died for our sins. He bore the curse he suffered for us. Remember what the hymn says, man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah. What a saviour. So as we look at this, we can thank God for our saviour, for Christ, who suffered in our place.